Our reading today is from Acts 8, verses 1 to 8. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now we move on to verse 26. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, sorry. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. That's the word of the Lord. Can you hear me at the back? Is that okay? Great. Uh, well, here at Shard in Church, we are 
about giving you the authentic experience. Our passage today is in the desert, and here today we're without aircon. So you can feel the heat that the characters in the story were feeling. Although the rain is kind of ruining my joke. There wouldn't be rain. Uh, if you could keep your Bibles uh, on or open, that would be great. So we've been looking at the series on evangelism, um, and we're continuing that today. I think many Christians can sometimes think of evangelism a bit like how they think about filling out their tax return. We've been told to do it, but we don't really want to do it. But that's not to say the reasons we have for not doing it are always bad. Maybe we just feel a bit useless at evangelizing. That we often mess it up. That we've tried, but people don't listen. My friends, my family, they're just not that interested. But I hope this passage today can be an encouragement and also a challenge to us as we see more of what evangelism is and why we can do it. Um, before that, though, I don't know how many of you know my story. I came to faith over a fairly long period of time. Uh, it all started, actually, in a church in Singapore where I first heard the gospel. Um, but not just at the front. Actually, it was after the service where the real impact was made. A guy chatted to me for about two hours after the service, and he said that he'd felt prompted to come and talk to me. Uh, he knew that I wasn't in a very good place spiritually and emotionally. He actually knew many of my problems without me actually telling him about them. And he shared Jesus with me. And actually, without that conversation, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. But then I think back on it, and I wonder, why did that guy single me out of a church of about a thousand people? How did he know that deep down I was searching for meaning and was ready to hear the good news? Why didn't he just spend time with his friends or with other newcomers. And if you think back to your own conversion story, whether you were converted in a moment or over a long period of time, if you think back on the details of it, I ask you this. Who was it who shared the gospel with you? Where did it take place? And can you see that God was at work in that? We all have different and wonderful stories but I bet the basic ingredients are the same. Someone took the time to share their faith with us. And here today we read of one such story in the Bible. And I think the story highlights three things that can help us uh, in evangelism. Does this work? Yes. Okay. First thing we see in our passage is God's providence and guidance. I think it's hard to read this story and not see God's hand at work through every aspect of it. Uh, the context concerns the spreading of the gospel. From Jerusalem, it's going outwards. 
But look at how the gospel spreads in the first place. Before this chapter, we read of Stephen's death at the hands of Jews who are trying to stop the spread of Christianity. And what happens next is great persecution occurring on the very same day that Stephen has been killed. We're told it broke out against all the church and the people are scattered. However, what was a deliberate attempt by the enemy to stop the spread of the gospel ironically becomes one of the ways the gospel spreads further and wider. For what do the scattered Christians do? They preach the word, says verse 4, wherever they went. So the gospel is spreading. Um, There's a saying, religion is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. Or maybe we can say the harder you hit it, the wider it goes. And this, by the way, is not a unique event in Christianity. Throughout history, persecution of God's people has often resulted in a growth in believers. Uh, Look to China as a good modern-day example. In 1949, the number of Protestant Christians in China was estimated to be around 700,000. And when the Communist Party came into power in 49, the church faced overwhelming persecution. Churches were shut, leaders imprisoned, religion was outlawed. But what happened? Well, Christianity actually grew. Faith became more valuable and personal when it was under attack. And the zeal to share it actually increased under persecution. And by the year of uh, Chairman Mao's death, there were around 5 million Protestant Christians. And of course, it's continued to grow and grow. And actually recently, they published a list of the countries with the fastest Christian growth at the moment. And all of the countries in the top 10 were outside America, outside Europe, Indeed, some were in places where Christianity is actively suppressed, such as Saudi Arabia and African countries like Oman and Yemen. So God uses the plans of the enemy to grow his kingdom. He works in everything. And back in our passage, it's in this context of the church in Samaria that Philip Philip finds himself in Samaria when the church is scattered. And we see a great revival happening in Samaria. And actually, amidst this great revival, Philip is told by an angel of the Lord to head away from where the action is, to a desert road. So away from the hub, away from the people. It's a somewhat strange plan. It's a bit like being told to head with the gospel away from the streets of Moncock, for example, to a distant section of the Maclehose Trail. So God is guiding Philip away. But why? Well, Philip is in the desert. He's feeling quite hot, a bit like you guys. And in the haze and the heat, Philip sees a chariot. And we're told that inside the chariot resides an Ethiopian court official, a high-up man. He's the treasurer of a kingdom. Today, he'd probably be traveling in a limousine. And this guy is being transported back from Jerusalem to his home country. And the Spirit tells Philip 
to go up to the chariot. But again, why? Well, when he gets to the chariot, he arrives at just the moment to hear the Ethiopian reading aloud. That's how they read in those days, in case you're thinking it's weird. The Ethiopian is reading from the Old Testament, and more specifically from Isaiah 53, a well-known passage about a coming servant who will suffer for the sins of many. Now imagine for a moment if Philip had arrived at the chariot and the Ethiopian had been reading from, say, Judges, maybe one of its horror stories of murder. It would have been hard to go from there to Jesus. But in Isaiah 53, there could not be a more appropriate springboard to get to Jesus from. It's really hard to miss God's hand at work in the story. So Philip explains to the Ethiopian exactly how this passage is fulfilled in Jesus. And the results, the Ethiopian puts his trust in Jesus and is baptized. So what are we to make of all this? I think what Luke gives us here is a great evangelism story, kind of with the curtain pulled back. We can clearly see God at work in the whole process, which is helpful. I think we tend to read the book of Acts like the apostles doing things after Jesus has left them. And today we can also think the same thing. Jesus is in heaven and we get on with our work here on earth removed from him. But Acts is as much about Jesus as the Gospels are about Jesus. And more specifically, it's Jesus' continuing work through the Holy Spirit. And Luke is making sure that we see that. The Spirit is sent to guide people to continue to do Jesus' work. So God is at work in the big picture, ensuring the gospel spreads despite persecution. And he's at work in guiding and leading Philip to where he wants him, to the right place at the right time. He's at work in the time of Philip appearing at the very moment the Ethiopian is reading from Isaiah 53. So we mustn't forget God's work in evangelism. Everything done is done in God's power. The Spirit is at work in every stage, making sure the gospel is heard and received. And it guides Philip here to head to the desert and to the chariots. And of course, we are to evangelize people because we love Jesus. That's great. But can we sometimes think evangelism is merely down to good planning on our part? Are we also open to the Spirit prompting and guiding us? I think there's a danger we can quench the Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can tell us to do something. It told my friend in Singapore to speak to me after the service. And often he guides us to people who on the surface may appear to be fine but who are actually spiritually thirsty and ready to hear the good news. So are you open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit? So that's a picture of China, sorry. Okay, so we may be open to the leading of the Spirit and understand God's work behind the scenes, but what about our actual evangelism? I think... One of the reasons we fear evangelism, or just don't do it, is if we're honest, a lack of faith in the power of the gospel and its impact on people. 
I think we often elevate the importance of man over the message. Or we can despair at the state of someone's heart and life and think he or she is beyond help. We're never going to be able to reach that person. They're too different. They're too distant from God. They're not on the same page as me. But I think this passage is a great reminder in the power of the gospel. So look down with me at verse 4 to 5 again. As we've seen, persecution in Jerusalem scatters some of the disciples to Samaria. And why is that important? Well, Samaria was actually a long-standing enemy of Israel. This is not people sharing the gospel with their friendly neighbors. It might be like Palestinians evangelizing Israelis today, or vice versa. But the gospel is actually received with joy, we're told. The gospel is spreading to areas where there would naturally be great hostility. It's breaking down cultural and political divides. And then we come to the Ethiopian. Uh, Those of you who read attentively would have noticed that Luke highlights the fact that the Ethiopian official is a eunuch. Uh, Indeed, actually for most of the story, Luke merely calls him the eunuch, which is actually important. Luke is making a big point in how he refers to people. So why is there an emphasis on this Ethiopian being a eunuch? Uh, To us today, it might not sound like a big deal. But back then, eunuchs faced religious backlash. Eunuchs in the Old Testament were part of a group of people excluded from entering the assembly of the Lord. In other words, they were not allowed into the presence of God that others in the Jewish community enjoyed. And we're told that this Ethiopian eunuch traveled to Jerusalem to worship God. He's most likely either a Jew who settled in Africa when the Jews left Israel, or he's a convert to the ways of Judaism. In Jerusalem, though, he wouldn't have got past the outer courts of the temple. Uh, Whether he knew that before he set off, uh, we can't say, but I hope he did. But he was excluded from the full worship and full participation with God's people. But actually, that's not the end of the matter. In Isaiah 56, uh, we read of a promise made to eunuchs, a promise that a time would come when they would be welcomed back into the temple, welcomed back into God's presence. And now, with the gospel, that promise is fulfilled. The one who was previously separated from God is now able to be brought into full fellowship with God. Through Philip's teaching about Jesus, the cultural religious barriers around the eunuch are brought crashing down. God had promised to bring restoration through his gospel, and Philip's role was merely to proclaim the power of change lies in the message, and what a power it is. And the gospel also crosses social divides. This eunuch is a top official in Ethiopia. He's in charge of the treasury, a chancellor, a sort of George Osborne figure, or John Chang, who I'm told is the financial secretary of Hong Kong. Philip is a bit of a nobody, let's face it. He's not even one of the apostles. But the gospel is all about breaking down social divides. This lowly man tells one of the most important men in Africa 
about Jesus. Did Philip feel unworthy to talk about Jesus? It doesn't look like it. Look at him running to the chariot. So Philip had firm trust in the power of the gospel. It didn't matter about the social divide between the two men. The gospel overcame that. So the gospel crosses social, religious, cultural divides. If you feel unworthy to be sharing the gospel with people from other social classes, if you feel like the effectiveness of evangelism is in doubt, then do be encouraged this morning. Acts is full of unexpected people coming to know Jesus. And it's been like that throughout history. Think of Corrie ten Boom sharing Jesus with the Nazis who imprisoned her. Or of people in Syria at the moment sharing Jesus with members of ISIS. And look around you today. This church is full of people from different places, previous religions, different social classes. And of course, we're just following in the footsteps of Jesus himself, who came down to give his life for us, we who are about as far removed from God as is possible to be. We used to be God's enemies, and the gospel is powerful. When we share it, God's power is at work. And so finally, I think churches are often a good they're often good at holding special evangelistic services or events. But our church is good at promoting a one-to-one atmosphere in the church, encouraging the congregation to meet with others, to share about their faith. I think many churches struggle in this area. And I think that speaks to our temptation to feel that evangelism is best done in a specially planned event or a guest service a famous speaker coming to town. We just feel that evangelism should be left to the professionals, people who know what to say, people who know how to speak to the most people at one time. Or we just think, bring people to church. They'll hear the sermon. By the way, if, you're, if you've been brought to church today by someone, thank you for coming. But actually, an important aspect of evangelism in this passage is that it's very personal. In Acts, the gospel is shared in many different contexts. Often it's in big speeches, large crowds. Think of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, or the apostles, of Stephen before his death. And actually, throughout history, you have examples of these big speeches. Um, Think of Martin Luther before the religious councils, or Martin Luther King or Billy Graham-style rallies, theatres packed with loads and thousands of people. But actually, this story in our passage happens away from the big crowds, the big venues. It's on a desert road, and it's not a clever speech. It's a one-to-one conversation. The eunuch is reading the Bible, and look at what Philip does. He merely asked a question. Do you understand what you are reading? And from there, Philip helps point him to Jesus through the scripture. That's it. And actually, this example of personal evangelism has good precedent. In Luke 24, Jesus himself met a couple of disciples on another road. 
the road to Emmaus. And there he opens the scriptures, points people to himself. And in both stories, the people respond with joy and amazement as Jesus is shown to them in the Bible. And actually, to return to China as a modern-day example, a study was carried out to determine why the gospel spread so rapidly in China over the last 60 years. And one thing the study investigated was how people came to know about Jesus. And actually, what the study highlighted was that a whopping 90% of people came to hear about Jesus through their personal relationship networks, friendships and family mostly. Only around 3 to 5% of people came to know Jesus through an evangelistic meeting or through hearing a preacher. The gospel spread through personal one-to-one relationships, through ordinary people sharing Jesus with another person that they knew. And God has blessed us with families, with friendships, close personal relationships. What an opportunity for us to share Jesus with our closest and dearest, as well as for those chances we get with strangers and people we may meet only once. By merely asking a question, we may well be able to share Jesus with people. It's not something to be done merely by professionals. And actually, as we talk to people about Jesus, who knows what impact it might have. Actually, an early church historian tells us that this eunuch who Philip met went on to spread the gospel in his native country. I wonder if Philip was ever wondering why he was carried away from the hive of activity in Samaria. He presumably never knew what happened to the eunuch after the encounter. But what seemed like maybe a thing on the side, away from the main action, turned out to be a big step forward in the growth of God's kingdom. So asking a simple question of people could lead to the growth of God's kingdom in ways you can't even imagine. So as we're reminded then of God's guidance and providence over the growth of the gospel and his kingdom, as we're reminded that the power of our evangelism lies in the one that we proclaim in the gospel, and as we see that it's by the ordinary guy merely opening the Bible with another person that God's kingdom can grow, let's be encouraged this morning. Thinking back to Singapore, what I know now is that I'm glad and very thankful that the guy who shared Jesus with me was open to the Spirit's prompting. He wasn't overcome with such fear that he remained silent. And I'm thankful that he took the time to reach out to me personally. God used it to change my life. He's used this method in so many other people's lives as well. So who can you meet with? And who can you share with? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who cares for the lost and reaches out to them. Thank you for Jesus, who is the reason we can know and serve you in this. Help us to see evangelism is not our own work, but you graciously using us to grow your kingdom. We pray that you'll guide us and help us point others to Jesus. And please work in the hearts of those that we know who we're trying to share the gospel with at the moment. Please give us opportunities to 
Share our faith with those around us, to ask questions and to be bold. For your glory. Amen.